0: Hey gamers, this is Joshua Sidarella. I'm freshly back in New York after a trip to Berlin for Art Week 2022. This is a crossover episode with our friends at the New Models podcast. Check them out at patreon.com slash newmodels. I sat down with podcasters Carly and Julian and artist Rachel Rawson to reflect on the current state of cultural production and our weird moment between the old institutional art world and the new social media platforms. I'm going to pass the mic over to Julian in a moment for a full introduction, but I wanted to quickly mention that this is my favorite recent breakdown of all the big picture questions that we talk about on this channel. Social media, rearranging culture, and society. If you like this content, I recommend subscribing on Patreon and checking out the New Models Discord. Find the link in the show notes for this episode.
1: Welcome to the New Models podcast. On this episode, we are joined by the Joshua Sidarella and artist Rachel Rossin, both in town for Berlin Art Week, which included Rachel's special offsite project for Kunstwerke Berlin titled The Mall Of. Longtime listeners will know that Josh and New Models have evolved in parallel, our respective projects following a shared trajectory these past five years, one propelled by a disillusionment with the mid-2010s art world, and involving a turn toward the so-called creator economy, where we both, during lockdown, cultivated, together with you all, robust digital communities. More recently, Josh and New Models have teamed up with Holly Herndon and Matt Dryhurst of the Interdependence podcast and a few engineers to develop the Web3 initiative, Channel. Essentially, this conversation is a temperature check, a freestyle audit of the 2022 art ecosystem, cultural production, platform demands, audience habits post-lockdown, and the state of lane-pilling. I'm Lil' Internet, joined by my co-host, Carly Busta. Our guests are Joshua Citarella and Rachel Rawson. Let's get into it.
0: New Models Podcast, Episode 51. Create a Core with Joshua Citarella and Rachel Rawson.
2: We are in the studio today with two guests. Two friends. They're like practically part of our DNA. Josh is in Berlin with us. He's in the... NMHQ with Rachel Rossin, who just opened a show at Kunstwerke this past week. We're going to chat about the state of content, and let's see where it goes.
0: Okay, I have a frame to suggest Great. for this. Okay, and, good. Um, I've been trying me. not to say it. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, okay. I was asking. I was like, <laughs> I'm looking at the roster of people who are showing during Berlin Art Week. Yeah. And it seems very familiar. Right. Uh, I've been doing art for like 10 years in the yeah. gutter of art and tech, and I recognize a lot of these names. And I think Nadim Saman, who's the curator at KW. Mentioned this, and also John Raffman mentioned this uh, dinner drinks the other night. It seems like post internet is very represented in this Berlin (laughs) Art Week, and it's weird because it's 2022. It's not 2013 anymore. Yeah, and so John said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing here, but John said that we did this work, nothing replaced us, and so we're here again. (laughs) And it kind of feels so so this is kind of where I'm, I'm thinking of that something happened in between the period where in the financial recovery from 2008, low interest rates spur a purchasing of these like speculative assets Mm -hmm. of uh, artworks from broadly the post-internet generation. Mm -hmm. And that invites a lot of people through a door that had been more or less closed for the past few years. And It was this always unresolved question of like, who is the generation after? Who's going to take the baton from post-internet? Who will be that inheritance in like this lineage through the progression of art? And I think what happened is that platforms were introduced and they totally transformed creative life where people went into fields of music or video production or they became a YouTuber instead of becoming like a capital A artist in the way that... A lot of us thought of this growing up. You know, we're kind of we're on the older end of this <laughs> yeah. now, and people who are in the like Zoomer Millennial cusp, they had to, they had a very different set of options open in front of them. So it feels a little surreal to be here now, ten years later, and feel confident saying that there wasn't a generation that came up behind us, and that's not a you know contrarian, conservative, reactionary statement. It's just, I mean, evidenced by the curation, there's right. not a group that took the inheritance of post-internet and and became the follow-up.
2: That's totally true. And the conditions of the lockdown certainly tipped things in the favor of post-internet modalities platform sure. type mm-hmm. content. And also, I mean, I imagine though some of this stuff had been planned. I mean, we were talking to Christopher Calendron Thomas last night and he's like, I've literally gone down every force majeure point on my contracts for multiple museum shows. Pandemic, war, the Queen died. I mean, you know, and so I think some of this is a bit of backlog that should have happened maybe a little bit earlier. Hmm. So I think it's the two things. Yeah. But also, I mean, your analysis seems right on. I mean, let's just say a few of the shows that are there. Yeah, so, we should Run through the list. Rachel, do you want to say actually a word about your show, which just opened at Kunsthalle? It's titled "The Maw of." It's at an anatomy theater from the seventeen hundreds,
3: and it's three very large installations that I'm still recovering from. <laughs> But it's on the subject of the framework of technology. Like a lot of that has to do with like brain and machine interfaces and like cognitive peripherals.
2: And Kunstbroker has dedicated a certain part of its budget towards a digital curation Mm -hmm. platform. I mean, it's during the pandemic, it hired Nadeem Simon to run this aspect of their programming. And your work is coming under that header. Yeah, our
3: open secret that Josh and I both were curated into. Yeah, and new models.
2: And new models. Of course, Yeah. 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 So this project
3: is an evolution directly. It's right. like the same title. Yeah. So.
2: And so last night, Mariana Simmet opened. Timur Sikun opens in November at Societe.
0: Yes. And uh, John has an opening tonight.
2: John Rathman. Yeah. And yeah. he also was part of the Schinkel Pavilion show with Anna Udenberg, who you might also think of in the idiom of post-internet art, transhumanism, uh, super desire. Crisp super crisp mm, yeah. yeah. I, I guess for some
0: yeah. reason lump Lu Yang into this yes uh, even though it may not be Accurate. Yeah, it's yeah. not historically but Does Bunny accurate, have a project yeah, as well?
3: Bunny's sculpture opened. Bunny Rogers. Yeah, Bunny yeah. Rogers.
0: It's, yet, it's unmistakable. Yana's. Oh, and Yana so.
2: Sutella, right, at the Sharing Stiftung. Yeah. So a number, absolutely.
0: It's interesting in that you mentioned KW and their digital department. One of the things that I've tried to pay attention to over the last few years of watching how post-internet art has become canonized, like Mm -hmm. watching Andrew Norman Wilson at American Medium in 2012, and then watching that piece go into the MoMA Uh almost 10 years later, the question arises, what department actually accepts this? Is it photography? Is it new media or whatever? And seeing different artists, work in slightly different mediums but are kind of in an intellectual lineage together and were included in group shows 10 years ago. Now that work and the story of those communities is spread out between all these different disparate Mm. departments. Mm -hmm. And until KW started this new thing that Nadim is heading up, it didn't really feel like there was a designated institutional field to really canonize that work and historicize it properly. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like... Fractured. It's like a hard drive that's been spliced <laughs> and like stored between right. all these different institutions, but like the full resolution image isn't there because no one has collected the whole history.
2: That's true. I mean, Rhizome was sort of piloting this, but now, of course, we just had news this week that MUMA is selling a number of works from its collection to raise an estimated $70 million to dedicate explicitly towards a digital focus program, which will include a digital media streaming channel and also the accession of some digital works. There was a lot of news about like, oh, they're selling like a renoir for like, you know, board apes. Um, <laughs> maybe there'll be some NFTs as part of that, but I don't think that's really the focus. I think it's just making a budget available for a serious digital program.
0: Yeah, I always have conflicting feelings when people Deaccession works or sell them off to raise funds because it really seems like, you know, there's not a shortage of money that can go into art, you know. So it, in some ways, seems like a political decision to sell off the old collection. It does seem to me like you know, that's not an extraordinary amount of money for an entirely new Mm -hmm. department that maybe this kind of roughly triangulates the problem in that there hasn't been sufficient philanthropy in this field for digital streaming and there should be. I don't know, maybe Web3 opens up new models of monetization that then allows that work to happen, but it does seem like a weird conflict of priorities from my perspective to sell off the old canon to facilitate new works when there is capital, there is ways of facilitating. That's totally
2: true, except for there's something key to this particular sale, is that I see it, and I don't know, this is me just reading like the Wall Street Journal articles. I see it as MoMA pivoting to media. So less MoMA creating a budget to develop their digital collection, and more as MoMA realizing, they saw maybe in part because the lockdown continues in China and various parts of Asia, but they saw their visitorship drop by more than a third and still not recover over the past three years. They have seen their YouTube engagement, explicitly their YouTube engagement, increase by the same amount. So they're thinking that this is the interface where they're going to be capturing their future audience. Oh my
1: fucking God. And
2: you know, when you think about it, you think about like legacy brands like Condé Nast and MTV. I mean, MoMA has... The brand power of those two combined, arguably, mm. it certainly has the credibility that neither of those two have anymore. So, strategically speaking, it would make a ton of sense for them to launch into a media structure. No, I have no idea. This is not like Alpha that's been verified, but I can just imagine that that would be their strategy. In which case, they wouldn't want to necessarily be beholden to a philanthropic structure where so and so endowed this new department. So that's what I. That's my guess, Dean. May or may not be actually heading the <laughs> media chatbot.
0: <channel. laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I would not be surprised if it's true, but it also. It not like a post way to it announce it. It definitely did.
0: As the only Twitch streamer in the entire art world, I think Dean would be perfectly suited for this job, and I hope he will <laughs> invite me onto the
2: platform. <laughs> exactly. So we see museums turning towards post-post network, but I think we also are going to see some museums with stronger brands change their model fundamentally trying to act in different ways. I mean, as we are too, like as people who've had communities and platforms for the past four years, we've seen a change in the past six months, right? As lockdown as at least in the West has ended. And we too are scrambling to think about how we can continue to add value to what our purpose is.
1: I have a question though, in terms of visitorship, not returning to MoMA, is this something that's present in other sort of physical-based locations or attractions, retail as well. Because there is a certain aspect though of the COVID era that I think of as like delusions of metaverse, Uh where it's like people spent two years in lockdown and extremely online and it was just long enough for people to feel like it was the new normal Mm -hmm. and Facebook's huge push for the metaverse and NFTs, for example, seem to be grand, ambitious ideas hatched out of a temporary state Mm -hmm. of of exception rather than a new normal of everyone living online all the time. And so I guess their visitors haven't returned, but I wonder if there's an aspect of this that was hatched during COVID under the Environment of delusions of metaverse. Mm,
2: definitely, I mean, we see Patreon's valuation take this massive jump during Oof, a Series yeah. F round of funding. I didn't even yeah. know they had Series F round of funding. It sounds like a bad idea. But what do you
1: do after your Series Z round of funding? E- <laughs> Is it series yeah. AA? <laughs> yeah, Series Greek letters. I alpha,
2: don't know. right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, valuation jump. Sigma
0: round of funding. Now. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Sigma round of funding for DNR.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Patreon's valuation. Jumped from 1.2 billion to 4 billion in 2021 because of this delusion of metaverse that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we are reliant on these platforms to continue building at the rate they say they're going to be building. We're now in a more precarious state, as you know, Patreon just sloughed off 17% of its staff, killed its security team, closing its Dublin and Berlin offices. I mean, maybe they weren't necessary. What do I know? But, you know, we, the creators who built ourselves on these delusions of metaverse platforms are now in a more precarious place because they were overvalued. And we have to now weather that deflationary stage.
0: Yeah. Soft power is complicated.
2: It is. Yes. Yeah.
0: I've said this before, but maybe to like do a lay of the land for people who are not up to date on this uh, from my channel or my perspective on it, but I've become very nostalgic for the protections of the institutional art world where you could, um, the example I like to give is that The images I was able to project in the theater at the New Museum, I was then shadow banned on Instagram for showing those same things, right? So there has to be a way or a place that you can communicate on social media that has different rules for different people who fulfill different jobs, right? Journalists abiding by the same rules as Mm -hmm. comedians, as the same rules as researchers is not working, right? yeah. So having these, maybe they're dark forest spaces, maybe it's a private discord where you can chat. Those things are important, but you also need to be able to publish. Yeah, so exiting the institutions and then go out on the platforms has allowed us to learn in a very real way of like what were the affordances that mm-hmm. uh, institutions gave us that the platforms did not. Right. And I feel like that's been so much of the rhetoric that's surrounded the last few years because the institutions have not been able to respond to the things that I think are most important in the capacity that they should have.
2: Right. You that's, know? Yeah, that's and totally right. And that's also right. I
0: think tied up in this new, I don't want to call it a resurgence, but the, the prominence of work associated with the post-internet milieu yes. now is mm-hmm. that a lot of really important things have happened since then mm-hmm. and it's still the same. I don't know, like there was some missing element of philanthropy or uh, institutional work that like should have happened in that 10 year period that mm. did not come through. And mm. so what is happening now is that there's this massive atomization of creative talent where people go in to become music producers or they go in to become TikTokers mm. or whatever. And They can make really good stuff, but like, you know, young like Zoomers who are making really interesting, compelling work online, and then you talk to them about the long tail and they're like, oh what's that? Right. That's like, oh my God, bro. This is like the foundational, like everything you're doing, the critical capacity of it is backed up by this essay from 2006. And they're like, yeah, I was like four years old then. Right. So I don't know yeah, what you're right. talking about. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. But see, if they had had like Josh this what's one class. the long tail? The long tail is uh, an essay by Chris Anderson in Wired Magazine. This is how he speculates the internet, the market for music streaming is going to play out in the next decade. He describes it as the head and the long tail. So there's a huge number of plays for a concentrated group of things at the top and then there's this long stretching tale of like niche genres and like the weird things that crop up on the internet that you wouldn't think would cross over like Pale Goth and like Witch House <laughs> is one of the early yeah. examples of this and Sea Punk and, right. the, and these types of things that were like circulating in that era uh, if you add all of those up in totality they outnumber the big hit by right. Beyonce right? so his idea that what was going to happen in the nicheification of the internet and the marketization of cultural production is that you would add all these things up and there will be market incentives to diversify away from a mainstream. And we have seen that happen we to a, a large degree. Mm, yeah. Now with the streaming platforms, we're on the other side of this mm. a decade later, where if you look at Netflix, the things that is streamed the most is like Friends and mm-hmm. Seinfeld and whatever, and, and the hits, they dominate on the, the yeah. charts. Right. But so the point of this is that if there were, was an intellectual lineage for like what the internet is doing to culture, yeah. just from a diagrammatic structural perspective, people were able to make targeted critical interventions in that time and try and steer this thing to be ahead of the curve, to mm-hmm. like shape it with intent. And you could interject to all of these political ideas or cultural ideas and you could kind of channel things that had not yet happened and you could astroturf memes if you mm-hmm. knew how the system was right. operating, right? You could shape culture in a meaningful direction. And now it seems like people are being instrumentalized by the algorithm itself. Where right. if, if you look at TikTok, your body is literally animated <laughs> by true. the algorithm it tells you how to move yourself and you end up dancing for this abstract formulation of capital and algorithmic <laughs> recommendation. And It's extremely dystopian. But uh, yeah, I think if there was maybe an intellectual lineage for some of these younger creative movements that are now kind of onto the platforms rather than in the institutions, we would have a higher quality of work and we haven't had that.
2: Right. I mean, I think there's also been a total fracturing of attention and of visibility. You know, we all left Web2 spaces in order to have a place that wasn't under the same kind of algorithmic pressure. But in the past three or four years, we've seen subgroups within our own communities form, which is great. You know, I'm sure DNR has incubated a number of other groups and artists, and I know New Models has as well. And maybe that is even just like a couple of different telegram groups. But really, like, the signal is so fractioned that like if you are doing something that is in defiance of the algorithm, there's zero visibility for it and there's zero connectivity for it. The only way that it's going to have a kind of mass impact is if it fits into this body protocol of TikTok or like whatever the algorithm is optimizing for. So,
0: this would be great right now if we had you saying this in a reel or Instagram. <laughs>
2: it
0: would really be recommended. It's, okay. it's a very compelling argument. Like, let's do it. Let's do it. But it's
2: really, gotten that on film. I feel like there have been these two things that have happened since we all started our platforms circa 2018, which is that big media has reformulated its channels in way that reflect our analysis. And I feel like big media is better than mainstream media, because that? that seems totally meaningless. Do we sure. just mean like Fox and MSNBC? Big media is anybody with VC, anybody with enough money to reliably pay staff for at least a year to get something off the ground. So we see like The Verge doing this big restructuring, the restructuring around a model that we all Identified literally five years ago, but decided to bootstrap ourselves in this very cute DIY I way. I think we
1: should consider being patent trolls in the future.
2: <laughs> we should just patent our ideas. We and, could. Yeah. That's true. I mean, if they're patenting candy flipping, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we should do that. But um, so we see media restructuring around formats that we identified several years ago. Then we're also seeing members in our own communities going on to start their own channels and their own groups. And that's kind of the natural progression. But how do we? support a local media within an artistic sphere? How do we defend spaces hmm. within these new spheres that won't get banned or shadow banned? I still think new models must be shadow banned. It's impossible that our posts, maybe our posts are really, really, really bad, but it's impossible to have 13,000. I think, 13, I think it works in
1: Cascades personally. I think yeah. it's like the, the more you're on it, the more your posts are amplified and the Could more be. your posts are amplified, the more you're on it. And it's just like, we just aren't active enough for them to reward us with visibility to others. But you I don't know?
2: want to have to work for the platform. I want to work through mm-hmm. the ideas and through the real people audiences that I know we have from you know our moments of devirtualization or the conferences or the clubs. Or I want to speak directly to these people. And we need to find some way of like media patching. And I don't know what that looks like yet. I don't know exactly how to give value. Everybody is oversubscribed. Screens are toxic. Content is cheap. And there's this continuous pressure to continuously adapt. These are these things that an institution in a former time would be able to take care of some of these things. You know, one thing interesting, there was this article in The Point. I forget the author's name, but it was... Oh,
0: yes. This was sent to me also.
2: It's a great article. I thought it was really comprehensive. Um, Out
1: of the, I don't know, 37, 38 uh, pieces (laughs) written on (laughs) Urban Week and Dime Square, Uh, this is the ultimate.
2: Yeah. And and it made uh, several good points. But one was, as we all left institutions and left big media to go to platforms like Twitch and Patreon. We removed the middleman who used to value our content, who used to evaluate our content. I loved using the word alpha now, I'm probably using it wrong, but you know, you used to have a magazine that would say, you're gonna write an article, it's gonna have this piece of alpha in it, this kernel in it, and we're gonna pay you a thousand dollars for it. And suddenly that a thousand dollars became 300, it became 150. So they devalued our content. We were like, fuck this, we're gonna go to a platform where we can speak directly to audiences. But now we are responsible for valuing our own content. And because maybe we come up in the shadow of Gen X or something, we're very good at valuing it very low or telling people it should be free. And so we've really devalued our content. We're responsible for valuing what our alpha is, what we're giving there. And we're very bad at, you know, if you see major corporations following formats that we developed four years ago, and we say that like $5 is too much to pay for a podcast where we give these ideas. I mean, institutions or legacy media used to do this, and that's something that we've lost, That we need to somehow figure out how to revive.
0: Well, we had indirect solutions for this. I was very aware that at a certain point in my career, I was essentially charming people over a dinner table with stories and analysis, and then they would buy the work as a token of the value I'd actually created over the conversation. Right. So that's a pretty direct path to becoming a podcaster yeah. and giving a coherent analysis and a compelling story or whatever. But I'm not totally convinced. I mean, maybe there is some kind of Web three solution for this, where you can make content affordable and like self staining in mm. a way but i guess the way that we had managed to survive before was that you would do all of these other things that you would not directly capture the value of the discourse through speaking gigs necessarily right. and you would capture it through selling these big photographs in my case or sculptures or whatever it happened to be if you were yeah. making art that then eclipsed as like the sale of art went down and then the speaking gigs went up in yeah. a certain period and you just saw like a shift in the market and in the discourse but there's maybe something that has to do with physical spaces, the importance of like being able to meet up in exhibition space that is not a discord anymore, mm-hmm. right? As there's like a drain of creative talent and potential from online communities as like the pandemic alleviates and watch yeah. times dissipate, then people regather in physical spaces. Right. In yeah, we're tired.
3: Way. Yeah, so it's like the reaction to that is to then spend time in physical spaces. Yeah. I mean, yes. I definitely feel that way. It's like, I don't really want to be on screen right now. I'm yeah. tired. I get asked all the time, about you know just like NFT stuff and like what the value of art is in person it's so clear to me that it just becomes more valuable to spend time in mm. physical space right now with yeah. people. So
2: I wonder though, to what extent that has to do with, because if you look at who's been successful continuously in the podcasting world, mm. it's people who have big personas, right? Mm. And so it's like people aren't even subscribing to the content, but like really the charisma of the person, that's the thing that they're subscribing to. And sexy photos. And sexy photos. Yeah. But I wonder if the IRL has something to do with the, the, sexy the photo. person yeah, definitely. there, yeah. right? Yeah. There's this value of this human. Yeah. And a connection for sure. You know, which it's not so
3: much tethered to the content or the ideas. It's about intimacy right? actually. Right. Right.
2: Proximity. Yeah. I mean, which is like the historical idea of painting is that you have a connection to the vitality of the artist who brings the paintbrush across the canvas. You can see that motion. It's capturing capturing time or recording
3: time, you know, which is like what the sexy photos are doing too, holding value and yeah, creating connection.
2: It's right. like Very simple in that way. It holds together a network in that sense.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a danger in extrapolating out this curve though. That mm. I'm I've spent a lot of time in the last few years looking at content creators and these like internet personalities that yeah. have been shaping the communities attached to them. And I have to say that the result of these communities in the last few years are on the whole pretty disappointing. We may have overvalued the ability or the potentials for Social media to act as a type of political education mm, or aesthetic matter. education? Because the people who come out of these fandoms, I mean, new models and DNR are a separate thing, and we've right. intentionally tried to sculpt them in a very complicated, layered, nuanced way. But a lot of the people who come out of these communities that are roughly fandoms for like big podcasts yeah. are, have a pretty narrow understanding of the world, and they haven't actually been challenged in a lot of their ideas. They're not yeah. pro complexity, they're very simple. Totally. So I think that there was something else that happened when you met up and you. You had panel discussions between people who disagreed. You know, the incentives for cross-pollination are to kind of stick in your own corner Mm -hmm. of the internet and to like develop a pretty like brittle, narrow understanding of the world. And so I think the education that these people will walk away with who are purely formed through consuming podcasts online are going to be a lot less i don't know steady or well-rounded as the people who like came up through IRL panel discussions right. and a rigorous discourse or like being in a reading group where people would like disagree with each other to the extent that they would shout and mm. they would get into arguments mm. yeah. you know and podcasts where everybody is kind of laughing together and agreeing on everything is like I'm not sure if this is necessarily being challenged enough. Right? You know? Is it actually like
2: like high glycemic index information? It's like <laughs> it's like feels really good, but then it doesn't leave you with anything substantive that yes. can like grow your muscles. It doesn't yeah, make you yeah. full. It
1: doesn't make you full. Mm, right. Mm. You just want to eat, keep eating more. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You're just on a content drip. Yeah. 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 You're like yeah. a rat in the cage. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Next episode, please. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I always think it's. This isn't related, but I think it's funny how to be a comedy podcast, all you have to do is laugh at everything the other person says. <laughs> That's so funny, Julian. <laughs> I mean, right? Am I right? Though it's Tell true because if you listen to one, they're just having a normal conversation. Know, like Oh you my it, god! Are but they just me? laugh <laughs> after everything. So and right? Oh my, my god! Laughs, and everyone's laughing. It's comedy podcast. So, um, good one.
0: <laughs> it's actually true.
1: It is true. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I, I do keep thinking that. So, well, actually, Josh, I have a question for you related to this. A lot of your work has been focused on like the political identities of the young and very online. And do you think that politics, though, has waned as something identity is shaped around now hmm. compared to a hmm. few years ago? Hmm. Yeah,
0: well, I did a recent episode with one of the young people who I followed very, very closely for the last few years who has prominently featured in the book. And his... Intellectual, aesthetic interests have kind of drifted from eco-extremism and narco-primitivism into a local hardcore vegan straight edge type <laughs> of scene, which is, you know, historically very linked yeah. with anarcho uh, like
1: primitivism But like a real IRL scene. That's
0: An in IRL scene, yeah. Like a local hardcore scene. Yeah. And I think, you know, broadly there's just a deflation of political possibilities on the immediate horizon. So it's going to take another big type of stimulus and big media event to rekindle those things. So they've kind of become deprioritized in the meantime. And And also, I mean, literally speaking Mm. of deprioritization, like the platforms have changed, like the the recommendations have changed. Like a lot of these accounts are gone. A lot of these things are now banned. And so... It's very different because at the time it felt like this kind of teenage shitposting was really transforming mass culture in a very meaningful way. In that you could provoke a New York Times journalist to write about a meme that a 14-year-old had made, and like that shit was that was really powerful. That was shaping yeah. the national political discourse. And now it's not necessarily happening in the same way. So I still think those possibilities are there, but they're going to take shape on a different platform or somewhere else. Like the discontent is still there, but it needs to have an avenue to flow into. And for the meantime, it's in these like subcultural affiliations that are not explicitly political, mm. but are maybe implicitly mm. political. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was really asking in a subcultural way where, cause it almost seemed like for a time politics almost replaced the role that music used to in terms yeah. of how young people would shape an identity or find a subcultural belonging. It was like, instead of being goth, you were uh, Eco fascist or something.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, literally.
0: Yes. But now
2: is it like TikTok versus? Is that like where like there's identity formation on the kind of quasi subcultural level? I mean, I guess this is like a forty something, so I'm probably totally out of touch. But like, I was on clean talk. <laughs> 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 That's a kind of subculture, of course. Wait, um, what is
0: clean talk?
2: Just like OCD, like like really like, yeah, like literally cleaning. It's really uh, satisfying to watch or it's really abject to watch depending on what threads you get Mm -hmm. stuck in. But Josh, obviously you've been following this for more than a decade now, really. Where do you see identity formation happening then?
0: I was, oh, this is dark. Uh, I was up late and I was I was looking at TikTok as I was like, I'm so fucking shadow banned on Instagram. I need yeah. to get on another platform. Right, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm a grown ass adult man. I'm not going to do these little fucking skits and these like dumb mm, little mm. things that you have to act out on TikTok. I just got so, I was like, this is repulsive. Yeah. I really hate this content. And I I loved it in like 2018 when I originally wrote about it. And it was, you know, it's a very different platform. It's been redesigned a dozen times yeah. since then. But uh, yeah, I really felt like, it is a CCP psyop to burn American attention. Yeah. Like that is the only reason yeah. this thing exists anymore. Because you walk away with such like meaningless information and you're just burnt for your time. And then you kind of feel like gross. It's kind of just it like feeding drugs. you. It's like, it's yeah. just it is drugs. And like, like, yeah. so we're
3: not yeah. talking about that enough. It's like it's behavioral addiction. It's not yes. like it's And you go there to like blow your brain yeah. out for a little while. Yeah. Like we're all tired. Yeah. It's like oh, watch this for a little bit. And it's enough of like a video game to give you like a little Bit more of a dopamine spike to like flip the next page, yeah. you know. It's like it's, it's like a slot perfect. Machine. It's perfect. Yeah, it's a slot yeah, machine. And
1: time is so precious. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Nobody really everyone plays really fast and loose with their time. Mm. They
2: shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as content producers, it's a question that we have to reckon with. So we value people's time. What can we give them that is going to make the rest of their time well spent? Uh, Tristan Harris. But like, really, like I almost feel an obligation. No,
0: I feel <laughs> very much this way, yeah. Because I I'm a little bit, I think, frustrated with the educational capacities of some of these bigger channels that I've been Mm. very hopeful about in terms of counter-messaging right-wing influencers on YouTube and stuff like this. Like, yeah, we need a left-wing progressive perspective on these things. And instead of being like a meaningful political education that then results downstream in organization, It seems to have become just like purely entertainment and parasocial relationships. And yeah, instead of meaningfully shaping the discourse and leading to communities downstream, it's become like basically a babysitter to sit with you as a lonely adult. (laughs) And that is like, I mean, then the problem becomes like, well, why is our society so fucking atomized and why Mm -hmm. are people so lonely and miserable? And uh, yeah, maybe content is not necessarily good for that. So then again, makes me think if you look back at this period, there's going to be some really meaningful interactions that have been recorded, but then there's going to be a lot of stuff that, you know, the process of writing the history is narrowing down all of these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if there's a dozen podcasts about a subject and like a lot of it is kind of shitposting and inarticulate and is just kind of like filling time, then that's not going to make it into the history book. So I I worry that we may have gone through a period where there was a lot of fluff created and sorting the signal to noise then becomes very difficult Mm -hmm. where, I mean, we jokingly mention Dime Square and, and these types of things, but I think doing the research to actually find out what's going on with those communities means listening to like 20 hours of Mm -hmm. a podcast for someone to inarticulately bungle their way through a convoluted political idea. And it's like that obscurity, that opacity is actually part of what's fueling it is that actually doing the primary research to crunch 40 hours of listen time is practically impossible on anyone's schedule. So yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a bad, cloudy, confused period where we are in need of strong signals again. Right.
2: Do you think it's now time to re-enter the cathedral, the institution? The cathedral. Like, Do you think the time has come? Because that infrastructure is there and it's endowed. Well, t- yeah.
1: statistically, writers are leaving Substack and going yeah. back to institution jobs. I mean,
2: Substack, Patreon, these things are kind of a lie, kind of a Ponzi, a millennial Ponzi built on cultural capital. But these institutions remain. I mean, do you think it is now time to try to do that? I mean, boomers are now also aging in the next 10 years. They will be stepping down from their teaching positions or whatnot. Is that the play?
1: I mean, I also think like... Should we be building an elder, the elder net, as opposed to looking towards people younger than us?
2: Like, oh. I, I
0: agree with that. You know, um,
2: yeah, yeah. What do you think that would look like?
1: I'm not sure yet. I just thought of it today.
2: <laughs> I like that idea.
0: What's the next uh, new models homepage? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very large
1: net? text. That's easy to read. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Those are the geriatric millennials.
2: With a nice the ML chat bot that yeah. will comfort you. <laughs>
1: It's going to be, you can listen to our podcast at half speed and it's really loud. <laughs> but sorry, what I derailed your question.
2: No, but I mean, that is the question. Do you think it's going to be time to re-enter the cathedral?
0: Maybe we're just a generation that's been subject to like a bad economic period of severe stagnation. Mm. And so part of the slowness of institutions to react and properly canonize or to compensate people for creative work. Part mm. of the slowness may just be the unprecedented economic circumstances yeah, that we were also, in. And so, yeah, maybe it's just going to happen for our generation 10 years slower than it has for mm, most people. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. seems like this week somehow evidences that. Right? That's like, yeah, the inheritance or like the art discourse inheritance, there wasn't anyone else to pick up the baton. so. Mm. Maybe Maybe that means the work here is actually unfinished.
1: Hmm. I I mean, I also do think that things could get better because an issue certainly has been the boomer ballast, as Mm -hmm. Kevin Munger says, the sort of like entrenched boomers at the top of institutions, right? I mean, you see it like record labels investing in signing board apes and like the amount of money that went into funding NFTs as being something that would gain mainstream adoption. Like the decisions, like there is not a single person who doesn't have personal monetary incentive who would say that's a good idea. Anyone you would ask, any normal person would say, no, terrible I'm not idea. this is a so terrible cringe. idea. I don't like this. You know, and I think there's this issue right now where zoomers are zooming, you know, a thousand miles an hour and the boomers are kind of just getting grifted, mm. to be honest. Like the money is going to who grifts the best. Yeah. Not who's doing the most interesting thing. And we're really bad at grifting, which has been a, a problem for uh, our <laughs> economic viability. Parlor, the uh, the app oh, that yeah. is now off of the Apple App Store has these
0: incredible. I'm on their mailing list. They have these NFTs of like. Trump and like the states and like the national parks and like you know like those <laughs> military oh, commemorative coins. There's targeted two boomers. Glaciers.
2: <laughs> that's actually that's not
0: a bad idea. Yeah. Could we somehow shoehorn this into a recipe to uh, solve climate change? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We create <laughs> right? a speculative prediction market on top of how fast the glacier is going to melt. Yeah. And then the proceeds from that go to fund climate yeah. change research or something like that. And
1: for a second, I thought you were like, could we, could we shoehorn in a recipe for apple pie as an NFT or like recipe NFTs? Martha Stewart, I think, has
2: already gone there.
1: Oh,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm pretty sure. She had like weird jack o' lantern NFTs and oh, like my God. CBD <laughs> recipes with <laughs> soup. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they even know what they're buying in some of these cases.
2: Yeah. I don't I think they're just bored Fox. or something. Or, yeah.
0: yeah. I imagine like a grandpa who's like, yeah, this is my Trump NFT and I he opens it in a tab to look at it but he kind of doesn't know where it's held or <laughs> yeah. he just like understands that he owns an image and yeah. it's like this is my picture of my grandkids and this is my NFT. NFT. <laughs> yeah. I yeah.
1: wonder though something more macro. I mean, I had just writing it down just called it Sectnet, which is hard to say but it looks good. But I mean, mm-hmm. do you still imagine like an internet of groups is going to continue to take shape as opposed to an internet of individuals, mm. squatting up group chat, Discord, whatever, Reddit group, and around podcasts, this sort of internet of communities mm. is if that's a trend that's going to continue. I guess Channel also was considering every platform is built for individuals rather than communities, but increasingly communities want to be able to engage with platforms in the same way an individual right. does. Right. Uh, so yeah.
0: Collective tweeting and stuff like this. Yeah. 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 Well, Rachel, we've talked about this quite a bit, but I'll try and rehash maybe what we were talking about right before the record. But there was an early idea that the amount of likes a painting would accumulate Mm -hmm. would somehow be analogous to its value. And I think we're seeing a... Collapse of that old way of using the internet. The example I like to use is that art rank back in the day, which would list like what are the hottest new paintings or sculptures or whatever artworks to buy. Part of what they would do to crunch the speculative valuation of those works was scraping social media posts and how much likes and how much engagement they got. So that was definitely part of it back in the day. But I think what you're seeing now is that that is more or less collapsing at scale and we're seeing most of the value creation actually happen through very small communities mm-hmm. where um, if you begin to see that something is getting too much likes, that means you're actually yes. late to get in right. on the rising yeah. asset price of an NFT or a cryptocurrency or whatever. Yeah. So rather than having a million likes is how you can generate the most value on the internet. Instead, it's better to be in a discord of like a hundred people That's that right. are all really early in on this rising token. Or
1: yeah, right. yeah, like a, a WhatsApp group called like Dust Devils. That was created in like Burning Man in 2015 of a bunch of like
3: like, well, those guys are, yeah. the those guys yeah. are
1: sharing is gonna like be and
3: valuable those people aren't on social media right. like the most powerful yeah. people are actually not on social media which right. is like really they're just like, like signal they don't groups, want to be groups. yeah totally it's, and so yeah. that's like a part of it too is it's like Remembering kind of where power is That's and it's right. off of the platforms. Like I mean, the, the most, chicest
2: thing is to have no SEO. Yeah. <laughs>
3: to have no phone. Yeah, you know? to have no
2: phone. And right. Your kids are yeah.
3: in Waldorf schools, you know. It's
2: like, <laughs>
3: totally. It's like, Screenless yeah,
0: that, life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. not vaccinated.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Free to get polio. <laughs> 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 Drinking that raw yeah, milk. Drinking that raw milk. Eating those eggs. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I mean, privacy <laughs> management is like a growing business. You yes. know? So being offline yes, yes. reduces yes. your, like, That's attack surface. Right. But I mean, about. Also, people. Exactly. Also, there's yeah. companies that are just devoted to erasing yes. like yeah. uh, that's exactly traces it. of you from Google and getting mm-hmm. things taken down right. and flooding the front page of Google to bury things you don't yeah. want seen. Right. It's like that's a this, huge yeah. Industry. And the
3: saturation drives anonymity, right? So it's like that's why it's like younger friends never have their names as their yeah. like Ats, you know, it's just like why, you know, You wouldn't yeah. do that. Family, it's just like try to, to checkmark. Yeah, yeah, try to find like a way to just like hide into this giant machine totally Although yeah.
1: privacy is so atrocious in the united states you know there's all these weird sites like if you ever forget and like an address you oh, used to so live fit. at like 22 years ago <laughs> you just google you your name, name. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll tell you, it'll tell you your so neighbor's fucked. name it tells you like it told me my aol email address from when i was a, a 12 Christ. year old that i no, i forgot what yeah. it was it knew like, I, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: read this article about stingrays. You know what stingrays are? Yeah, the, yeah. the, the cell phone. Uh, the cell phone top, tower yeah. spoofers. They're, they're like, they pretend to be cell phone towers. Mm. And you can just scrape any cell phone that connects to it. And I think it was like right before the BLM protest. I was watching this helicopter and I had like a Wi-Fi. I was Where were you? I was at my apartment in New York. I was looking at my phone. And it was jumping from like one bar to like four bars. And there was this helicopter that was like coming around. And I, like, turned my computer into a Wi-Fi sniffer to just, like, see what was going Mm -hmm. on. And sure enough, the Mac address was a known Stingray. (gasps) And I was like, oh, my – it was the – (laughs) it belonged to that NYPD. And I was like – it was, like, one of these things where, like, it was right in front of me just, like, circling. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, that's the end of the story. It was just, like, horrifying. And I was like, we are – more fucked than we even know. Right, you know? yeah, like
2: yeah. Just col- scraping my data, like yeah. every time it was connecting, just like right in front of me. I mean, there's the collective unconscious right now is a towards incoherence because <laughs> we know that every that's single, everything that's legible will yes. somehow, yeah. you know, put it's, us in boxes or whatnot. Mm, yeah. yeah, so it, incoherence is an asset. Yeah,
1: the dog whistle is the new frequency of communication. Yeah,
2: they, mm, 100%. And we don't we say this again, just to be clear, we don't mean that in a right-wing sort of way. Oh, we just yeah. mean the form of communication is dog whistle because right. anything you say will immediately lock you into a certain like algorithmic space or some kind of bubble. Yeah. But also, I mean, as we were saying on the Ben Ditto recording, just as our use of dating apps and Google has trained machine learning data sets, it's also trained us from a very small amount of communication data from one post. You can kind of tell the character of that user, even though that user is totally anonymous. You may have never seen anything else from them before because we've also become much more efficient at understanding communication data. So dog whistling is the mode of communication.
0: You have to implicitly signal exactly. everything. Yeah. Group affiliation. That's right. Yeah.
2: And that's something, it's, interestingly, it can't be done in this. I mean, I'm sure there are like people who work for the CIA who can do this in a deliberate way, but it's something you're doing unconsciously. Just like you would change your form of address if speaking to an older person or a child, that kind of just intuitive... Formation of language. But it's not the words we're saying, it's how we're saying it that that is a communication. I text like
1: a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I had another question though. Yeah. About the, uh, Wait, but I did want to go back so, to just yeah. Josh's
2: point, just to restate that again. So unlike this 2014 analysis of the more likes, the more valuable, as these automated digital art sites were trying to speculate on the value of whatever new zombie formalist painting, we now are in a stage where it is much more valuable to connect with something when it has very few likes, if it's a promising group. And in part that's also because Web3 so privileges early adopters that it's almost a problem that we're gonna have to solve for later on. Right. How to distribute power downstream because it's so often accumulated in the first adopters. People are
1: talking about social Ponzi's now. It's yeah. like a new analogy that's been going around. Yeah. But yeah, I mean- So I- it's
2: like not only necessary to get in very early when there are very few likes, but that's actually going to be the problem we're gonna have to solve for later, Mm. that power is going to be aggregated in those first 10 likes.
0: We've talked about this, maybe it was on the first podcast we did, or maybe it was a studio visit, but I thought in like 2012 or something like that, that every artist who was trying to make a career was going to become a type of influencer on social media, that the teleology, the competitive dynamics of that space would just lead everyone to becoming like a content producer, but then would also sell these, you know, rarefied art objects that were very expensive. And I think what we've learned in the last few years is that, you know, now I'm some kind of an influencer more so (laughs) than a practicing artist for like the last two years. And uh, Rachel is very much an artist and not really on social media. Mm -mm. So it's a very opposite poles of like, what we're doing in the day to day and there are people who kind of sit in between this divide, right? There's like Chloe Wise who is an influencer but also mm-hmm. an artist but there's like only one Chloe Wise. Right. There's not like, I thought there was going to be a whole generation True. of Chloe Wise and what we learned in The last few years is that there's actually very different incentives for the value creation of your work. And working on the platforms, you have to chase scale, you have to do crowdfunding, you have to monetize through click-through rates and through ad views and things like that. And if you're working in the art world, actually what you need is like a small dedicated group of collectors that doesn't require you to chase a million likes. Let other
3: people do it. It's like that's like more your or or the, like a work to Yeah, or the are, people that yeah, are like my yeah, work, you know? right, it's just right. like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah yeah. It was, like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like hurts a Yeah, But you
1: have to, and that's the problem. No, but you maybe do you, have but to. You don't, but, but you don't, you don't have, have to. You don't have, do. have what what to have to.
3: Josh
2: is saying there are these two models.
3: I mean, buddy, Rogers is completely off. Right. like She's just like, I can't. I mean, and I feel that too. It's like, it is a drain. I mean, even just like the last two days, just like working the show on social media. I mean, it just, it's so hard creatively to feel connected to my own work right. while doing that it's really it's yes. a lot. And the there's a kind of gaze you have yeah. to have there's yeah. this like objectification yeah, of yeah. your work and you have to like, like oh man right. yeah. I mean
2: and it's hard. Um, yeah, it is super hard. But then you have to, your work does still have to be mediagenic enough yeah. in order to propel itself through these channels yeah. independently. And,
3: I mean, and that's like also the dedication to the work is you have to move it into the world, yeah. you know? And so, like, that's like a part of anything that you make, right?
2: Question How do you feel about being photographed with your work? I mean, because if you think of Bunny and we think of something like Avery Singer and you, all yeah. three women who are also attractive and have really cool practices, is that something that you're fine with, that you resist? That I resist it a lot. I resist
3: it a lot. I mean, even like down to like what I'm wearing, like it's like I just would like to just be apart from it. Right. And so it's like, and I wonder, it's like, you know, when you talk about like the shadow of Gen X, it's like, where is that from? Is it that I feel allergic to the sort of like influencer temptation to take the sexy photos with it or something to like get more attention or something? But the currency of all of that that's been like, everywhere as a part of the like structure of reality it's one of the most like boring repetitive things and so it's just like i'd rather just be making work yeah
0: have you considered taking gym selfies Mm -hmm. (laughs) and eating a lot of that
3: it'll do wonders for your
0: social media yeah Yeah,
2: gym selfies (laughs) you can stand in front
3: of my nft dropping imminently I put Josh in front
2: of there. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You should. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> I mean, you practice. know
2: that like certainly Michael Heiser like, or Richard Serra or these dudes. I mean, there must be... Avalanche Magazine was like the early influencer, right? Mm, I mean, I don't hmm. really know. I should look back. But I imagine Joseph Boy's, Robert Smithson. I'm just thinking of like men and their land art. You know, their physique must have added to the value of There's those images. There's a few of these
0: characters, though, that are not professional artists in the way that we would understand the yeah. art world. But like they make a living off of selling their work, mm-hmm. they often take pictures of themselves in front of it and they're kind of like attractive influencers huh. that are a little bit too manicured and the eyebrows perfectly arched yeah, and yeah. they have like good airbrushing and they're really fit and it makes the work look super, super cheesy yeah. because it's <laughs> like, well, if you were a real artist, yeah, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't be photographed right. anywhere near your work. Exactly. What are you doing? Right, 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 yeah, right, They're kind yeah. of like an Instagram model posing in right. front of a painting. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, this is Authenticity not working points on. Way down. Yeah. Someone yeah. sent me, I forget the name of the artist, but she basically makes like Play-Doh sculptures of bored apes and she's like super attractive, like, you know, super fit Instagram model. And, you know, that's her living that she makes mm. this work and uh, she survives off of it, but it's totally parallel, has nothing to do with like the Actual professional art world, art world and yeah. the discourse huh. and, you know, would never get a review and art form right, or freeze right. or anything like that.
1: So, it's like hmm. it's just a like super complicated version of selling panties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. true. Yeah.
1: I think you should be a gay icon, Josh.
0: I but, am uh, a gay icon already. I think <laughs> <laughs> you should see my fucking DMs. It's a mess. Um,
1: oh, God. <laughs> I, have, I have one more uh, question about... Yeah. Even though I guess it's kind of real, but kind of not real, the Teal Bucks model. The idea that Peter Teal is secretly funding all of these weird trad new right <laughs> podcasts. But... I start to think, though, maybe there is something there, like maybe the actual funding mode of the future will be that every podcast community will have to find a patron That uses them as sort of an idea incubator, a social tester for ideas, a little personal organic grassroots think tank or something like that. I don't know. It's a future I can imagine because I, I feel like content is going to be more important than ever in terms of its utility and its utility outside of entertainment. Explain,
2: like, say more, because content's cheap, so for, say more.
1: It is cheap to make, but its utility is going to be more important than ever. For instance, it's an experiment anyone can do. Open an incognito window, go to YouTube, just search for something, and in your recommended videos there will be Jordan Peterson. Mm. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know if it's intentionally like intentionally a move by like someone who has some control over what the black box does, but that's a fact, you know, and... I really imagine with algorithmic control, and this is something I'm going to file a patent on and then patent troll in the future, (laughs) you'll essentially have a a sort of digital twin where you'll watch content, you'll watch movies, and your own face will be the star. Like, if you had sort of a manosphere type influencer, it'll be like a buff version of you telling you what you need to do for your life and to improve (laughs) yourself and stuff. And also, like, politically, or if you're feeling depressed and you need some motivation, you'll watch Jason Bourne with Your face Instead of Matt Damon (laughs) So I think (laughs) Content Okay (laughs) But I think Think about Think about content As being the vehicle For individually Nudging Everyone into a particular place or belief or so you're saying something. content
2: as raw material for other kinds of programming that will drive engagement. content for
1: a political or health based utility, okay? Right? A political not or motivational okay. utility, okay. right? Uh-huh. I think content's okay. going to be incredibly important, and so I think it might be the kind of thing that will be funded by patrons or organizations with a particular agenda, and maybe that's. That's just the way that anyone dealing in socio-political content will have to seek funding, rather than from viewers themselves. Uh huh. Yeah. And so I I think- kind of those kind of half conspiracy theory or eighty <laughs> <Yeah>. percent conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theory, twenty percent a question about is Tealbox actually a viable model in the future?
0: I think the Tealbox is the most hyperbolic example of it. But my position on this has always been that you should take funding from literally any source, no matter what, and never censor what you say. So...
1: That, mm, that, I think, is yes. a very consistent yeah. way to go yes. through
0: this because patronage, like, the moral vetting of art patronage is extremely dubious, yeah. right? Oh. Exactly. If it comes from states mm. or if it comes from private donors right. and the sources of all these things, are, well, how is it accumulated? All these things are, like, impossible.
1: Just the other day, I was like, it's crazy. There's so much institutional critique and so little collector critique. Well, like but there is.
2: There's, like, there's the Zablutovitches and there's, like, all the board members that got, you know, Sacklers, deposed from the yeah. Sacklers. So
0: Kanders, that's,
2: yeah. That's yeah. true. And there are Happens all the
3: time. Yeah, that like won't erase them off the wing. You know exactly. But this is
0: people. People don't actually understand the fundamental conflict that we're in because, like, the end result of this is to eliminate patronage for the arts. Right. There is no movement (laughs) to like you know clear the museum board or whatever. Like the movement is to rid the world of institutions to instantiate a public that has no idea of its history that doesn't understand where it comes from and to liquidate all of cultural production into the competitive dynamics of the fucking platform. Right. It's yeah. The CP only thing that directed. is challenging, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, it is to it is to right. rid American culture of the institutions that inscribes and catalogues yeah. its own history. Yeah. So what they want is a society that is in this perpetual treadmill of an attention economy that is run through YouTube, and that's the only option for cultural production. Right. So if you think that you're doing this thing where you're going to burn down the colonial fortress of the museum, like you are gravely mistaken. You are being instrumentalized by the other force that you are not that's yet right. aware of. That's right. Okay, so that is a very important line to maintain because people operate on. Under false premises when they push Mm. these things. So the clarity that I've always been able to keep through this rather than trying to do this incomprehensible, impossible dance of the moral vetting Mm. of patronage is just that... (laughs) Do whatever it is you want to do and take money from whoever, but never censor yourself. That's right. That is on its own going yeah. to be a compass that but guides you can you, you do that?
3: Can you never censor yourself?
0: That's the... Well, That is. You know. I think this is what we have to hold people to, yeah. is that if they do pull their punches because they may jeopardize their funding, yeah. then someone else... This is the system of accountability, right. that through podcast through different forms of critique, we can say that, okay, this person, they should have made this critique, but then they dodged it because they didn't want to jeopardize their funding yeah. stream. You quickly wind yourself into this position where everything needs to be crowdfunded. Mm. And the unfortunate reality of that is that Complicated content is not self-sustaining. That the is stuff true. that rises yeah. to the top yeah. in a crowdfunded environment is cooking videos and porn yeah. and like, you know, prank videos Comedy, and like cute time. animals right. and shit yeah. like that. And if that is the extent no, of cultural yeah. production yeah. you want, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. it's, yeah. it. yeah. it's like a yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. exactly. yeah. reptile
3: brain. Yeah, it's like mean yeah. reptile brain. That yeah. is
0: and and yeah. I want a society that has art. Yeah. I don't want a society that runs on fucking reptile libidinal impulses. Yeah, same. Right. So DNR has happily been taking money from Teal as well as Soros. Yeah. And uh, we're, we try not to mention them both on the same podcast, but I guess it's you know it's a conflict of interest. It's difficult to resolve sometimes.
2: I super appreciated your Aaron K. Moulton podcast on the Soros. That was I highly recommend. If anyone mm-hmm. has this question about funding and where there can Wild. be a critique of it, yeah. yeah, definitely listen to that. Yeah, that's the question. I mean, we're now going to go soon to meet Matt and Holly, our other creators in this channel project. But I think there is a conversation that we need to continue here on how do we take some of the things that we just put into discussion today and where do we move from here? I mean, individual creators subscribing to individual creators is not scalable or sustainable. We all end up poor, like giving our bigger and bigger percentage to the platforms.
0: I'm going to pay you five dollars. You pay Julian. Julian will pay Rachel. Rachel will pay me. And Patreon will take 20 percent out of each of those transactions right idea. and we're all going to lift each other up
2: yeah right
0: <laughs> that's how it works we don't exactly. need donors we don't need philanthropy yeah,
2: yeah no I mean it does make me think maybe we do need to create some kind of institutional layer that's just like a nouveau like institutional yes. layer that then yes. creates like a kind of baseline I mean, channel
0: foundation a channel foundation mm-hmm. I
2: mean maybe that is the way to mm-hmm. enable it because it's funded going by to, Teal funded by Teal I mean <laughs>
0: yeah. like, Peter, George whoever's
2: listening
0: <laughs> Dean Kissick
2: right I do hope that like major museums are Mama. moving towards yeah exactly are moving towards you know Some funding nice structures. What streaming platform
0: you got there? Yeah, exactly, a shame yeah. is something going <laughs> to happen to it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, if not, then I think it's up to us to put together what that new institution looks like and see what we can do with that and then see if Mm -hmm. we can endow it in some way so Mm -hmm. that it can continue to give us a baseline. And on top of that, we can build a subscribership model uh, with high quality content because we're not going to scale to trapo size, talking about deep internet critique or platform critique. We're just going to wait five years and see some major corporation take that model and you know mm. get a 100 million in VC but mm. we're not going to be the ones to get it cuz that's not how we're going to spend our time. Mm-mm. So maybe this is the moment to find a new organization. This
0: afternoon. Yes. Perhaps,
2: yeah. <laughs> anyway, we should probably do closing remarks of some sort.
1: I just think digital twins they're going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's my closing remark. I
2: don't I still don't see that one. It's gonna happen.
1: Trust me, the future of of content.
2: Everyone's gonna have like an evil Josh be like, evil Rachel be like. Yeah, it's gonna be telling you Mm -hmm. to like eat so many eggs to stay Uh, on. Yeah, that's not
1: for me. You're not on the
2: egg tip. Oh
3: no no! I'll eat the eggs. I mean, I just don't want like a smart glass mirror version of myself being like, do your push-ups or whatever. Right. (laughs) What about when you're twelve? Uh, no. When you were twelve. Did you want well, to see yourself? All. I mean, I don't know. I, I would have wanted, taken some tips from a much smarter wiser. No, I want wiser. like Gandalf to talk to me or someone. <laughs> right. I don't want like myself. You know, The rings. idea yeah. came
1: from, there's been so much backlash though about representation in Lord of the Rings or the Black Little Mermaid. And then there's all these reactionary people throwing a fit about it. And then there's all these videos of young black girls being so excited to see a black Ariel, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like that... The representation will be solved when the main character is always you, anyways. Mm. And so, especially for young people, right? And then I extended that outward into, well, it'll all be various iterations of yourself that are an aspirational mirror of what you could do. But I mean, think of how many. I mean, people already are making these aspirational versions of themselves that they're putting online and watching back to them, right? Yeah. It's like this old film I did in 2011 or 2012 called I Threw Proxy, which was just all these videos of people on YouTube doing these confessionals of really emotional monologues or moments, and it's like... They're doing this to experience the emotion of themselves vicariously through themselves. Watching say, themselves watching, watching himself, yeah. Right? You
2: see that on TikTok all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: oh my God. People like crying on TikTok with like sad piano music behind right. it. Being like, I'm having such a bad day. It's like... <laughs> or I've noticed this a lot also on Instagram
2: with my like, you know, like high school, you know, these people that you've sort of oddly been tracking for the past 20 years, even though you haven't had a real conversation with them since you graduated, where you see this like... Happy birthday to my sweet... Elizabeth, who turns three today, obviously the three-year-old isn't reading this. You are wonderful. You are a bright inspiration. You are so and so. Who is that for? for that is for them. That is for the mom of the three-year-old to be able to experience this like yeah, weird mirror, Yeah, right. yeah that's the, right? twin the
3: pill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the cognitive. That's what I'm talking about, like cognitive peripherals, like the way yeah. that it's like this is just becoming not only like our frame for reality, but just like ourselves, which is the digital twin thing. It's right. Like, I mean, you are just looking as a way to sort of like affirm that you exist. That's right. You know, so it's like just you have to mark it in time. I think it's a sort of sweet gesture in a way, even though it's a little dark because it is like everyone just sort of trying to like, yeah, mark mortality, whatever, you know, you're just trying to like grasp at something as a way to, and that's That's like the best way that most people have because a lot of people like creativity is hard to find. Yeah. And it's all sort of outsourced and it's given to you in this packaged ways and that's know, a especially good point. in America, you know. That's a
2: really good point. So that's a moment of like yeah. creative expression that also will I hate to say it, but Facebook has been the most stable platform in terms of saving my photos. Like when I look back sure. for digital photos, i killed a bunch of laptops and phones, but I still have weird posts yeah. from two thousand six.
0: Yeah. But it would be totally possible to have that journalistic use of this yeah. media or like recording your mortality on mm-hmm. something that was not driven by the platform dynamics of advertising.
3: Could it? I mean that's like I guess that's the model and that's like where I mean because then you would be paying up front instead of just attention, it would you be paying up front with like money and I mean like i, mean, I still pay for my yeah. Yeah. account.
0: It would be like you know and it
1: should just come out of taxes. <laughs> yeah. I think
0: I've been saying this for fucking years that Facebook should become the new post office. Yeah, yeah. yes that's totally. not a joke. I, yeah. people laugh at that but it I really is. mean yeah. that Every email citizen should at have birth, been. Yes.
2: You're <laughs> right, going to get joshua Cidarella at right. yeah.
0: usps.gov as your assigned email address That's and true. you're going to vote through it and all these That's things. True. And it's also going to be a fucking bank too. Mm. Yeah, it
2: will I have, be. I have
0: right. Very big plans for this.
2: <laughs> uh. Elect Joshua Citarella.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, we should probably wrap up. Yeah. Um,
1: well, we didn't even get to talk about how many people are lane-pilled. Oh, yeah. A a part of your. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) For years. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Watch Rachel. If you like Serial Experiments Lean, if you've never seen it before, you will watch it after going to Rachel's show. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone has
1: to That's... see it. I think they started showing it in public school. Now. Oh, really? No. Yeah, I
3: found it somehow on some torrent street, like in high school. Yes. Yeah. Like it's very, very close to my
2: heart. That aesthetic pack feels really fresh and really real right now. Mm. Like the the kind of incoherence mm. that you get in a serial experience. Like Absolutely. That je ne sais quoi, like, yeah. feels very right Dis, right now. Yeah,
3: so dislocated. So when dislocated. So dislocated. Totally. It's, yeah, it's very, very prescient. Yeah. It's like, what's fed the matrix? And, you know, I mean, yeah. they talk about that really openly. That, oh, really? Yeah, it's like, it's the matrix. That's yeah. what serial, serial experiments, like they talked about that on the press tour of the matrix. Oh really? Yeah,
2: yeah. Interesting. I guess mm-hmm. that yeah, that definitely makes Almost sense. Almost shot for shot. There's a lot of like Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like the same thing
3: with um is it paprika inception? Like shot oh, for shot. Right. Yeah. Like there's like it's like almost adorable.
2: Really? Like, oh, these guys. <laughs> you love the anime. <laughs> so. If you live in Berlin, come see Rachel's show. It's great. It's on view until November? No,
3: no. no. It's just this weekend. We're not going to see... We maybe cut this out because no one's going Because it's going to be just gone. just weekend? Yeah,
2: it's just a... It's an off-site ah. for Cave. To be clear, this is like one of those old pieces of architecture where you would have surgeons work in... It's for animals yep. in, in this, this particular building. Surgeons working on animals and then there's this really... Like stepped, high stepped seating, so you can look down onto the The the, procedure. exactly onto the procedure. You see these things
1: in like uh, psychological thrillers, right? Totally, right, um, exactly.
2: Or like 18th century painting, for instance. And the
1: acoustics of the room, because it's like this circular dome, is like really intense too. You can hear the voice bounce around everywhere when you're in the center. Yeah,
3: Yeah, My sound designer, Aaron David Ross, friend of the pod. ADR, Yeah. Uh, yeah, ADR. He, we. That's a lot of what we talked about. It's like, how to account for reverb in that space, both mm. spaces, because it just was like, I think he said it's 12 seconds of reverb, so it's like... Oh, wow. So wow. And you, when you stand in the middle, it's really interesting, too, and you stand up top, you can hear... He did... Yeah, he did a phenomenal job, but it's was really difficult to find something that could slow down and speed up in the right ways. Wow, right. Really interesting. Master. Yeah. Yeah. So special.
2: Cool. Yeah. And how do people find out about your work in general,
3: uh, not social media, or...? I don't think so. Maybe, yeah. though. I mean, I, I don't... I, I don't know. <laughs> Books? <Yeah. laughs> they search. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I'm recommended in the How do people find out about my work? Yeah. Draw me a line. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's yeah. other things. Yeah, that there are are other things. That's yeah. right. That's right.
1: Okay. What was Easy the, to forget that. What was the <laughs> name <laughs> of the Wired network in, in the, Lane? The, the Wired. Yeah, but it was the Wired, but then there was like the little interface. It had, Didn't it have like a brand name or something? Oh, you know, uh, some yes. S-
3: it's like basically Siri. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has a cute name like that too. Oh, I was just thinking about it. But it's like, hello, Lane. It's like the sweet Siri um, <laughs> friend.
1: Yeah. Well, on the wire, that's that's where you can find Rachel's
2: that, Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and everyone knows Joshua Citarella. Do not research. We'll, of course, link to all that. And yeah, Rachel, Josh, thanks for Oh, it. thank you for having
3: it's us. It's great to be
0: here. This it's great cool. to finally do the in-person one I after know, so long. We've finally. done so many remote. And I know, yeah, finally. Yeah. You, can yeah. you can find this-
1: Rachel on your Navi. Navi. Uh, Navi. Oh, it's Navi. That's Navi. Okay. It's great. Great UX on <laughs> Navi. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank, thank you. you. Ciao. Bye.
0: This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Lil Internet. For more, visit patreon.com newmodels or newmodels.substack.com. For Web3 access, visit channel.xyz.